there's a certain type of made-for-TV interview style that always drives me insane. They're called Vox Pop interviews. Used when there's some new cultural craze or around the Christmas shopping season, and especially around voting season, Vox Pops typically involve a suited-up news anchor dropping into a rural diner, or if you're in a city, grabbing someone on the street and asking them how they feel about a particular issue or candidate and why. And they drive me crazy because it's just not scientific at all. We've got economists, statisticians, pollsters, and some of the best minds in the world creating these incredible tools to gauge public sentiment across vast swaths of society. And these reporters are expending all of this time and energy to get flash reactions from one or two people who live in the same neighborhood or maybe even the same street. But as I watch more of them over time, and yeah, as I get a little older, a bit of the charm of them is rubbed off on me. I'm not sure if it's the people interviewed or what, but I think it might have to do with just how unexpected some of the answers can be. Like, when they do these voter interviews, not only do I rarely guess what candidate somebody is supporting when they are first asked, I know, Profiling is wrong, but my brain just can't help it with these types of interviews. Not only do I guess the candidate that they're supporting incorrectly, but the reason why is inevitably something that has me saying, how in the world could someone ever capture that in a survey or a poll? Sometimes they talk about how a candidate will impact their family, yeah, or their street, but sometimes they talk about their favorite video store shutting down or what a candidate says about a local cuisine. So I've started to feel like So long as you don't lose the forest for the trees and ignore what the stats and numbers are telling you, there's just something about these local trends and attitudes that are so unique but so informative. And sometimes what you learn from an interview like this can actually inform how the pollsters ask those data-driven questions later. So why am I talking about all this? This is, after all, a finance podcast. Well, CSBS, the FDIC, and the Fed have this annual conference every year about community banks. And we get together these brilliant economists and statisticians, and we even do a poll. A poll of community banks all across the country. And we look at all the data and research, and it's pretty informative. But we also learned pretty quickly that we weren't capturing everything that was going on. Community banks are local, just like these local interviews that I've slowly learned to appreciate. So we started doing a sort of vox pop of our own, focused on community bankers, and we call it Five Questions for Five Bankers. Today, I have on an expert from CSBS who works with state regulators that gather that feedback from bankers across the country, who summarizes it and publishes it for the conference. Some of what they say can be seen in data we have, and some of what they say is actually pretty surprising. So without further ado, I'm Matt Longacre, And this is Simply Stated. All right, so today I am joined by Alicia Sears. She's our Senior Analyst of Policy Development here at CSBS. Thanks for joining me, Alicia. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. So we're talking a bit today about uh, this initiative. It's called Five Questions for Five Bankers. So uh, CSBS is an organization of state regulators. 
the state regulators work on the local level more than the federal regulators do, much, much more. And that means as a consequence, they're working with community bankers just a lot more often. So this initiative, Five Questions for Five Bankers, what exactly is it? Sure. So the five questions for five bankers, we also like to refer to it as the commissioner to banker interviews. These are questions that are designed to help facilitate the state regulator and banker dialogue to really get a better understanding um, of the emerging issues that are faced by community banks. So these narratives that are produced really help um, provide the qualitative insight into the questions that we ask in our annual uh, national survey. So the commissioners, do they call up their bankers? They pull them into their office. So this is this is like a like a face to face sort of interview. We really leave it up to the commissioners. I mean, this is their opportunity to engage with the bankers. Um, so what we'll do is, you know, carefully construct these five questions. It takes several weeks um, and a lot of internal uh, discussions on what we think is relevant um, and what we find or think that the commissioners will find most valuable in their engagement with the bankers. But really, it's they can utilize the questions in whatever way they feel comfortable with. And that could be through one-on-ones with a banker. Um, it could be through um, roundtables. Uh, a lot of commissioners will do outreach sessions. So they'll have several bankers in a room and and be able to ask these questions. Um, It can be as informal as just simply going through some of the questions or all of them, uh, writing them down. Um, It's really just a tool for them to understand what's going on um, and how their bankers feel. Okay, great. So uh, we've been doing this for a few years now, I think, what, five or six years? Uh, And uh, this year, how many states did we have bankers interviewed in? So this year we had 31 uh, summaries. So we had 31 state bank commissioners um, from 30 states that participated. And uh, we've seen just the level of engagement um, go up uh, since last year. So really uh, refining that, uh, you know, commissioners are finding this to be a, a useful tool. So you say, would you say that we're getting a good cross-section of the country, good bit of large states, small states? Absolutely. I mean, this is open to all the states. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't select uh, particular states to release these questions to, so it's open to anyone. Um, and I would say with the 31 uh, summaries that we have, um, it covers pretty much the entire country. And it's been really interesting to see, um, you know, you'll get certain one-off responses and we'll talk about that probably a little later, but you do see some consistency. Um, and so it, it definitely, I think, uh, helps put everything in, in perspective, especially as it relates to the banking industry. So our commissioners, they were uh, going out talking to folks and uh, every year they seem to have a particular focus or a few set of questions that they really want to hone down on with with bankers. What were we looking at this year? What were the big questions on commissioners' minds when they were talking to the bankers? Sure. So this year's five questions um, focused on a variety of current issues, um, including the Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act. So we refer to that as S-2155 and its impact on the community bank business model. We also introduced question or a question on funding and liquidity concerns. We also have our kind of standard questions that we've asked from year to year, um, that being on cybersecurity um, and how institutions are evaluating their cybersecurity risk. Um, and we also had a question on technological innovations and how it's impacting the bank's uh, strategic plan. Okay. 
So, so one of the questions they had was on funding and liquidity. I saw in uh, the survey that a lot of banks noticed that that was one of their biggest issues facing them coming, you know, moving forward. I think it was like 35% mm-hmm. of banks said that, that was their their top line issue was was funding. So, what did you hear from bankers on firsthand accounts? Well, it appears that the the summaries actually mirror a lot of what we saw in the national survey. Um, we found that the outlook for funding and liquidity over the next five years was um, still somewhat mixed. You know, we got a mix of responses um, and we had different opinions within the states and across the states. Some bankers really expect funding levels to remain somewhat stable. Um, some said that their core deposit base is strong, while others said that it's really one of the most significant challenges that they're they're facing. But I will say in general, there was a recognition that it will be increasingly difficult to attract core deposits over the next five years um, and that there is now more competition compared to five years ago. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, next year when we pose a question like this, um, what type of responses we get. But I would say currently the responses are somewhat mixed, but, uh, you know, funding and liquidity is certainly um, on everyone's radar. So would you say that there was a difference between maybe larger states or larger banks and smaller banks? Or um, I, what do you think is the big differentiating factor between banks that said we're, we're doing great right now and one saying it's the single biggest challenge that we have? We saw that states that said um, had issues with depopulation um, mm-hmm. and, and credit unions, they, they cited that as an impediment to really attracting and retaining core deposits. Mm-hmm. Some bankers had expressed in in some of the rural states, especially, that increasing funding costs are due to the consumers or the customers moving funds um, into higher paying certificates of deposit. Those were some of the. So more competition, less overall funds available. People are moving more of their money into into higher yield investments. Mm -hmm. All are posing a sort of crunch and a challenge for them. And I will say across the board, there seems to be more reliance on um, FHLB and brokered and reciprocal deposits. What does FHLB stand for? Uh, Federal Home Loan Bank. Okay. Okay. Um, We had, yeah, so we had more than, um, and this was actually from the national survey, and we saw a lot of that sentiment in the the summaries as well, that more than 70% of community bankers reported um, acquiring funds through advances from a home loan bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and nearly 6% intended to expand their use of, of that type of funding source over the next five years. Oh, okay. And then one of the other things you talked about was uh, cybersecurity as a question for a lot of the bankers. What I thought was really fascinating uh, when I looked at the survey responses was that I think 96% of community bankers listed cybersecurity as, as a major issue for them. I just don't remember in previous years that number being so high. Uh, what did you hear from bankers about cybersecurity? Um, so really, the responses we got on cybersecurity fell into two buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was what the bankers really are recommending to regulators. Mm-hmm. And the other was somewhat of an analysis or a look at how these institutions, how the bankers are really using technology on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of recommendations for regulators. Um, bankers want to see more secure transfer of any type of document. Mm-hmm. Um, they like the, especially in the examinations, um, the greater offsite ability 
Um, but at the same time, bankers acknowledge face-to-face -face interaction. They like that component. Bankers also want to see using the use of technology and data to better risk-focus examinations. Um, that seemed to occur, or that that was relayed in several of the summaries. Bankers also recommended the use of technology to address the long-term problems with um, the excessive and duplicative uh, request lists that they receive. Um, many bankers express that this is somewhat of a, uh, a concern or a frustration during examinations to receive um, a lot of uh, request lists or uh, request lists with the same type of information. Um, that that was one of the challenges. Um, one of the things that really I, I thought stood out to me was this continued need um, for discussions between regulators and bankers regarding emerging risks and this continuous need for training and, and better best practices tools as these technological threats continue to arise. And in having those discussions, um, we saw that there was a push to always, you know, consider practical solution, uh, solutions that consider costs. Those are always uh, helpful. Now, when bankers are assessing their own use of technology, um, we saw that bankers expressed that they need to be a, be you know, they have to be a fast adopter of technology, but they don't necessarily have to be innovators um, to offer those beneficial products and services to their consumers. So a lot of the quotes that we got uh, through the summaries were, you know, we need to be leading edge, but not bleeding edge. Mm -hmm. um, some of the bankers also refer to this as being second phase adopters. Um so that that was universal across the board with I think probably 25 out of 31 of the states had the, had the type of uh, sentiment in their summaries. So what I'm hearing you say is as far as cybersecurity is concerned, regulators, please help us out. Give us all the resources you possibly can and make this as easy as possible for us. And continue the, the dialogue, especially yeah. when a new threat arises. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, I think more transparency and quicker communications when the breaches occur is it's one important. Um, you know, it's one thing to be proactive, but then it's also another to get that information out um, quickly when an impact does occur. So what they're asking for then is more uh, when there's a risk in the market, please tell us as quickly as physically possible. Yes. And I know there are some barriers for them. Uh, to communicating those risks with one another. So they're really leaning on the, the regulators to get the message out. Absolutely. You know, uh, technology in general is, is a big challenge for banks, particularly smaller community banks with mm -hmm. limited budgets. Um, and, you know, new technologies continues to emerge. Um, and so just as you get comfortable with with some type of current practice or some type of technological innovation, um, in, in getting used to just all the implementation challenges associated with that new product, uh, something new comes out. Um, and so it's it's that constant struggle or that juggling of, of new technology implementation and um, dealing with limited budgets. Um, but but what we saw through these summaries, all just to you know reiterate is that um, there is an awareness overall that cybersecurity is, is very, very important to banks. Doesn't matter uh, the size of your bank. Um, and that timely investment uh, 
truly matters and that it's just important to overall engage with your state regulators and be apprised of any new advancements. Okay. And then you used a phrase that I really liked, which was uh, uh, leading edge, not bleeding edge, which I guess is a, is a way to say that these community bankers want to pick up new technology as quickly as they can, but they would really love for somebody else to test it out first and make sure it functions right. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's just, first of all, it's a resource issue. You know, banks have to be well equipped, um, not only with the actual technology, but with also the personnel who under, they need to be able to understand how to use whatever uh, platform or services that they, they have, um, in place. And so, uh, it, it's, it, I'm sure they would appreciate if it was a vetted product and, you know. So is there anything from these five questions from five bankers that you thought were um, sort of unique answers or one-off answers that, uh, that maybe we didn't capture in the survey or in our list of questions for the bankers that you thought was just really interesting? Something that we should take notice of, but that wasn't necessarily captured in those big categories. Yeah. So every year, you know, we like to extract some of the one-off commentaries. They're not necessarily um, alarming or they're just unique, Mm -hmm. what we like to think, some of the unique requirements that don't necessarily fit into any one of the five questions that are presented. Mm -hmm. So I picked a a couple. Um, One was that bankers would like to see more transparency in the examination results of third-party service providers they feel that a bank should be able to sign non-disclosure agreements, um, allowing an institution to review regulatory reports and findings before actually entering into an agreement or into a contract. And they also felt that um, regulators should mandate banks cannot enter into these contracts with third-party service providers in excess of seven years. Or, or five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And the reasoning behind that is that um, some bankers express that this actually, by entering into these very long, um, you know, contracts or service agreements, you're actually hindering innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, oftentimes if they have to get out of an agreement, it just is too much time and effort uh, and, and very costly. So it, it, it limits the type of um, services they can provide, the type of engagement that they can have with both consumers and um, providers. So a third-party service provider, just to summarize, is, is another company that is being brought in to help the bank with some additional piece. And one of the big parts of that, as far as I understand, is that technology is oftentimes uh you know, uh, not necessarily exported out of the business, but they bring in third-party service providers to help leverage their skills to make the technology for the bank better. So this all really ties back together. They're concerned that if they get stuck in these long-term contracts Mm -hmm. and there's new technology that comes about, they can't just ditch their third-party service provider to get a new one that has a better idea because they're stuck in something that's 10, 15 years. Absolutely. And another point, um, that I, I found really interesting was that uh, there was a banker that noted that they'd like to see more frequent but smaller examinations that are then primarily done remotely, um, which I guess is a good thing because they didn't say that they'd like to get rid of the whole examination uh, mm-hmm. uh, system, uh, but but um, would like to see just more frequent, smaller, and and done remotely. Um, so so that one that one stood out. That's interesting because I I think I've never heard a banker ask for more examinations, but 
um, it's good to capture that. Right. So uh, hopefully they're keeping an eye on our uh, state examination examination system process because mm-hmm. they might get some of their wishes, maybe not more examinations, but maybe ones that have more remote aspects to it. So uh, anything else that you thought was really interesting or? I think it's important to really recognize the the hard work, you know, on our end at CSBS, we're compiling all the state summaries, we're really working to get everyone to engage and, and learn what what really matters to both commissioners and ba- and bankers. Um, but this wouldn't be done. This none of this could really happen without the engagement that the commissioners do with the bankers. Yeah. So this really every year we're seeing more interest, more engagement, um, and we really get to get that positive feedback from that. Sorry, we're, we're continuing to get the positive feedback from commissioners. Um, they've come to us and said what a valuable tool this is. It's an opportunity for them to exercise uh, or to engage with bankers through their roundtables, their town halls, and mm. really encourages them to take a step back and, and evaluate what, what's going on, uh, especially, I would say, in the current year. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've spent all this time talking about technology, but this kind of goes back to uh, where we are here is we're talking about community banks mm-hmm. who are working face-to-face with their customers. And we're talking about commissioners who got to put the legwork in to talk face-to-face with their community bankers. And so, it's really easy for us at CSBS to send out a poll link and ask people to spend five to 10 minutes of their time telling us uh, on a scale of one to five how they're feeling, but it takes a lot of work to pick up the phone, get everyone in one place and hold these town halls and really get people to talk. Absolutely. You know, we focus a lot on our, you know, CSBS annual national survey, um, which provides just an unbelievable or a great amount of the quantitative insight. Mm-hmm. But we're finding that um, the qualitative part also matters, right? Mm-hmm. So the the narratives that are produced through these summaries, um, and, and yes, they're, you know, short one to three or four pages, they're really helping to provide that qualitative insight to the questions that we also ask in that in the national survey. Great. So uh, thanks again for coming in. Uh, what I'm going to do uh, when we post this podcast up, I'm going to include a link to the summaries of these so that anyone who's listening can, can get these and take a look at them. And if you are a community banker listening right now and you say, hey, I see my state on here, I'd love to chat. Or you say, hey, I don't see my state on there and I'd love to chat. Um, I'm going to make sure that there is a contact us link for you to reach out to us to make sure we can connect you with your commissioner uh, for the coming year. We'll be doing this again uh, next spring, summer, right? Yeah, we, you know, we wrapped up the conference, the Community Bank Research Conference back in um, October. But, uh, you know, we we reevaluate everything and, and figure out what's best to do for next year. And we'll be starting shortly. So we'll be coming up with you know, new questions, um, both for the survey and for the five questions for five bankers. And of course, we're just hoping to get, uh, you know, the more engagement. It's, it, of course, the numbers look great, but this is a tool for state regulators, bankers, even for us here at CSBS. So um, we're really excited um, for the upcoming year. 2019 was a great year, but I am even more optimistic about 2020. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alicia, for joining me today. Thank you. That's a wrap for us. If you're interested in hearing more about community banks, fintech, nerdy financial policy stuff, and more, please do make sure to take a step to get our podcast. There's so many ways. Uh, You can just search Simply Stated on any podcast service. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Play, you name it, and sign up there. 
or you can go to csps.org, listen to them there, or you can even subscribe to our blogs in the newsroom and you'll get them straight to your inbox. I'm Matt Longacre. This is Simply Stated. See you next time.